WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 72. First things first, today's episode is being released on World Ocean Day. Throughout the 2021 Championship Tour season, the world's best surfers have been working to preserve the future of our sport with the We Are One Ocean petition calling on world leaders to protect and conserve the global ocean. If you can, we encourage you to join them in celebrating World Ocean Day today by signing and sharing the petition on weareoneocean.org. Thank you in advance to everyone that takes the time to do that. Next up, a little bit of news from my day job popped up last Friday with the state of Hawaii announcing the allocation of a number of event permits for the 2022, 2023, and 2024 calendar years. And while we're still a little ways away from announcing the full schedules for next year's WSL Championship Tour and Challenger Series, we did confirm the following after the State of Hawaii's Friday announcement. The Bonsai Pipeline will serve as the opening men's and women's championship tour event in 2022, with the event running in late January, early February. Pipeline will then be followed up by Sunset Beach for championship tour stop number two in February, with both events establishing the opening leg for what is planned to be a 10-event championship tour season ahead of next September's Rip Curl WSL Finals. Additionally, Haleiwa will cap off the planned eight-event Challenger Series in November 2022, the final event for those looking to qualify for the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season. Very good news from my standpoint, and we'll keep working on getting the balance of those calendars rolled out in the near future. I personally think it's going to be pretty exciting. All right. 
episode 72. On the topic of day jobs, at its core, this podcast was always intended to be a show featuring the surfing conversations we were already having in parking lots and coffee shops and bars and uh, Zoom meetings, I guess, wherever. And it shouldn't surprise you that these conversations happen every hour at the WSL. So between this and the positive feedback we've received from listeners regarding episodes featuring people who have worked and continue to work at the WSL, today's episode is a panel show entitled The Break Room, and it includes the WSL's Lindsay Volk, Ryan Fawcett, Dan Willen, Kim Hogan, and Henry Baer. Real human beings that have regular jobs at the arguably unreal and irregular organization that is the World Surf League. Full disclosure, what you're about to hear was intended to be a test episode for the concept, but I enjoyed it so much and I thought everyone did such a good job that we should be airing it. So we'll continue to refine this as the months go on, but for now, please enjoy the lineups made an episode of The Break Room. The good old clap take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> okay, so here we are for the first episode of the lineups break room, wherein we've corralled some of the most essential folks at the WSL, the people who work tirelessly to ensure the world's best serving happens year over year over year over year to hear from them on all manner of topics. And with us today, we have treasured marketing coordinator, Lindsay Volk, Stoke master media manager, Henry Hendo Bayer, the WSL's incomparable art director, Kim Hogan, poetic madman and creative copywriter, Daniel Willen, as well as always joined by producer extraordinaire, Ryan Fawcett. So, we just finished a marathon four event Australian leg for the championship tour, which was a result of the COVID impacted season. And there's been no shortage of opinions, uh, good, bad, and neutral on the venues of Newcastle, Narrabeen, Margaret River, and Rottnest Island. So for the first topic of conversation, we want to know how the leg went for each of you. And should these events, in your opinions, return in any fashion in the years to come? So. Lindsay, why don't we start with you? I thought the leg went great. Thanks for asking. Um, I loved how I think, like Surfline said in an article, it was the never-ending Australian leg. And I thought that was really funny because it does feel like it's been so long. But when I think about the events, I thought that they were all really good. And I thought that it was special to have four Australian events this year. Like you mentioned, we had that because it was the COVID leg, but it's like that's what makes it interesting is that every year is different on the tour and you kind of got to keep up with it. And especially to have like that moment all in Australia for like, how long was this? So I thought it was really nice. I don't know if we have to go back to the spots again, but I think that it was really worthwhile to go now. I think she's got a good point. I, and I wanted to pose this to the group too of Rotnest specifically. I was talking to somebody who uh, we'll just leave nameless um, on one of the crews that has been to Australia many times and had the opinion that like Rotnest didn't provide the best waves. Like it, it was, a, and I think later in the run, it provided some really good waves, but like earlier um, being kind of smaller and maybe not the best waves in Australia. I've never been to Australia. 
Um, never been to West Oz, but his opinion was that there were way better waves elsewhere in West Oz. So I don't know if others have been to West Oz, have an opinion on like, should we be going back to Rottnest and should we have gone in the first place? Well, I was lucky to be on the tour for a while in the nerd cave, as we call it. Spent a good six years. I've been to Margaret River a few times. I've been to Rottnest once, did not surf, didn't even know there was waves there. But watching the event go down, I think it was round 32 and watching Arkel shred the shit out of the waves. I was so jealous. And seeing all of the workers and the athletes and everybody working there riding on bikes, it looked like a beautiful place. But it th I think it was hard to translate that through the webcast. And when you don't have waves that are the stars, it's hard to really engage the viewers. I wish I was there for the experience. I would love to go back, but it does also sound like um, Professor Lenny was also kind of reluctant to have people come back. And I think that we should also respect that as well. Yeah, I don't know if we need to go back to there specifically, but I did really like having the search back. And I hope that that comes back in the you know near future, not too far. Um, just the energy around it is always cool. And going to places that, I mean, I had never heard of Rottnest before we announced that we were going there like a month before the leg started. So just kind of like learning about new places and seeing surfers get out of their comfort zone a little bit is always cool. I, I agree with Dan. I think that it's cool to go to new places. I'm less concerned about like the waves being the star and I'm a little bit more interested in how surfers handle conditions that they've maybe never been in before. Like you said, Hendo, like maybe they've been to, to Rottnest before. I know that like the girls went on like a sponsor trip there one year, but like to not even know that there's surfing to be had, I think is something that's a really interesting part of the conversation of like, if you're on tour, you should be able to surf at any spot um, and and sort of dominate it, whether you've been there um, before or not. And so that's kind of how I look at it. So I think it's, I think it's more interesting um, if it's sort of framed in that way. It definitely felt like one of the more like feast or famine venues because people were saying the waves weren't good, but like sometimes someone would get like a restaurant-esque barrel, which probably felt like really unfair to everyone else in the heat because they're like, my wave looked like fucking T Street. That's not really fair. But I like, <laughs> Kim, what you said, I think actually is apropos of the whole leg, which I really loved because we used to have this event called the Billabong Desert Challenge, which basically took all the most pampered surfers in the world and threw them out into the desert. It was actually in Western Australia, but in Northwestern Australia. And it felt like the whole leg was a version of that because of COVID, because everyone had their entourages stripped back, like people were having to kind of struggle and surf new venues. And I thought it was great. Like, I, I love mixing it up and kind of seeing who can be adaptable and who can't. Um, I just thought it was pretty exciting. But one of the more mega stories that came out of that Australian leg was the ascent of Newcastle rookie and former uh, lineup guest Morgan Sibilich. Third at Newcastle, a fifth at Narrabeen, a second in Rottnest. And as a result, there's kind of no shortage of hype building around the current world number five, both inside and outside of the WSL building. So questions for the group. Um, seeing as how we, the WSL, didn't anticipate that Morgan would be a star in 2021. Are we pivoting to him moving forward from a marketing and content standpoint? And follow-up question, is that, if we do, kind of too reactive? And, and what happens if he can't maintain his performance throughout the remainder of the event? So, Dan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. We made such a big deal 
all off season and the start of the year about Jack Robinson and Ethan Ewing. I mean, if I have to hear that Ethan Ewing surfs like Andy Irons one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. But they just kind of haven't. I mean, they've been okay, but they're sort of on the line for requalification. And I just feel like whether it's reactive or not, like Morgan is super fun. And I don't necessarily know exactly what it is about his surfing that's having him, you know, get these strong finishes, like three events out of three out of four events. But like when he's in the water, everyone's stoked. The announcers are going crazy. The Australians all seem to love him. And when he gets out of the water, like I can't wait to see his posty interview. I think part of that comes from being friends with Stace, but like, it, he's just like super entertaining and everything. The more I see of him, the more I like him. So he's in the final five right now. If the season ended, he'd be at Trestles. Do I think he's going to end up there? Maybe not, just because I don't think he's ever been to Surf Ranch. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's the biggest story outside of Gabe and Carissa right now um, for me. So I think why not seize the moment? Um, I think very rarely do we get someone who just comes onto the scene a total unknown, I mean, at least in my book, and just like blows up like this. So we might as well, you know, kind of run with it. Dave, you said that his, we weren't prepared for him to be a star, but I don't know. He was on the lineup before the season started. <laughs> yeah, you made him a star. So, Dave. yeah, well, I'd, I'd love to perpetuate the myth that coming on the show is good for your fucking career, but that was also, uh, you know, Rip Curl made a movie about it, which was really, really funny. Von Blakey did it, and they they paid for him to be on our podcast, which was enjoyable. But let's be honest, and Morgan and I would probably laugh about this too. The podcast essentially was him saying, I can't believe I qualified, and me saying, yeah, me neither, for an hour. So <laughs> it would actually be cool to bring him back on now being like, I can't believe I'm in the top five. I'm like, yeah, me neither, but how did this happen? So, yeah. <laughs> Don't boil it down to just that. People, if you haven't listened to the Morgan Sibilich episode, go back, check it out. Give us the download. <laughs> <That's right>. uh, <laughs> um, but he, I mean, I, I remember you saying when that movie came out, like it's some of the best surfing I've seen in a long time. And so I, I at least kind of was expecting something to see something from him. Maybe not what he, maybe not top five, definitely not top five or final five as we call it, but um, definitely like something. And, and he, I mean, he showed up, he beat John John twice. Um, he just keeps getting beat by Gabe. He made it to a finals. Like the dude's showing up. I'm super stoked to see what he does at the surf ranch. Just cause it's like, if you've never surfed that wave before it, I feel like it could probably be pretty tricky. Sure. Well, Lindsay and Kim, you can tell us, are we, are we pivoting to Morgan being sort of central <laughs> in our, our marketing and creative now that he's in the top five? From my standpoint, no, because we we make these little itty bitty videos, and um, I feel like he's not like he's not that explosive of a surfer. Like we would need like the whole fifteen seconds in order to see what <laughs> what he's sort of capable of. Um, so for me, he's like like Dan said, more of like a personality guy, um, which I think leads him into different spaces for us than sort of promotion or whatever. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, I'm not saying like Morgan's the reason you're going to tune into the CT, but once you're there, like he might be the reason that you're enjoying the post heat interviews. I think it's important to remember that like Morgan's been on the Rip Curl team since 2015. And I think that it's important to remember how powerful it is. Like when you get to be on these big brand teams, like that's powerful. And then when that brand sponsors an event, it's like, that's the reason why it sort of 
you know, fuels itself. It helps Rip Curl that Morgan's doing well, but it helps Morgan that Rip Curl sponsored all of these events. And I wonder what it feels like, you know, when you are a rookie, but you're on the Rip Curl team, you're kind of a hot shot. There's four events, you know, it's the Rip Curl team all around you, the Rip Curl branding. I kind of think you're the guy. And I wonder if that fuels your confidence a little bit in the water. Do you think it was almost like a home field advantage in some way? His his sponsor, his team, his country. I think a little bit. I think there's def- there's always a little bit of home field advantage, but then it's also like, you know, we wonder why we're sort of like attracted to that charisma. And it's like, we've been fed the story of him for a while, you know, obviously there was an entire year where he was on hiatus, but we all knew that he was going to be on tour for a year. And I think that the people who were paying attention knew his name, you know, then postcards from morgues came out and there were just, everything sort of fell in line. The controversy after the first event around, you know, was he overscored? I thought that was good. So it's like you keep it up and it all sort of, it builds this puzzle of like, why is he interesting to us? And it's like, he's interesting because we kind of made him interesting. Ooh, <laughs> he's interesting because we made him interesting. I hope he doesn't listen yeah. to this podcast. Uh, it, it's, we'll find him at Surf Ranch and we'll say exactly that. And then also like, we can unmake you interesting as well, Morgan. You just fucking wait. <laughs> I mean, he makes us interesting too. Like that's the whole thing, you know. It definitely feels everyone feels each other. Good cleanup, Linz. Good cleanup. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Hendo. Kind of bittersweet for me. I'm happy for his success, but I'm kicking myself in the ass for not putting him on my fantasy team for all the events because I'm suffering heavily now. So, <laughs> well, I mean. I actually think the story of Morgan like really encapsulates the thing that I love about the IPS ASP WSL, which is that like surfing is largely like a huge hype machine. You have the media and you have your sponsors and they're marketing the shit out of you because of all these sort of subjective subjective qualities. Like you look a certain way or you tick a certain box or whatever it is. And I'm not a competition apologist that can be improved for sure. But at the end of the day, if you're out there performing, like you can, you can pull yourself up like the profile ladder in a major, major way. And no one maybe thought Morgan was going to do what he did, but he did, you know, and, and now he has sort of earned all the attention, whether or not he can maintain it's another thing, but it's undeniable that he went out there and he belted the shit out of the world's best surfers for four events. And now he's number five, which I think is great. You know, actually, you know, I think that's sort of the best version of what the WSL can be in a lot of ways. I just say it's great to see some new faces. Like, I mean, the top three on both sides have just been dominating so long. So to see a new number five is great. Well, that's actually a perfect segue, Hendo, because we want to flip to the other end of the experience spectrum. And it's been widely reported that everyone is seeing new attitudes and dispositions from world champions like Italo Ferreira and Gabriel Medina this season. Something about how they somehow feel different. So... Uh, I kind of agree with this, but I'm not sure if I'm crazy or or if everyone on the call is also getting the same impression and want to know what, what you all think. So, Kim, what, what do you think about that? Are, are Italo and Gabriel giving off a different energy this season from your perspective? Definitely. Um, I think Gabe is super fascinating for so many reasons. But I think that this year he's um, he has like a real lightness to him that I think that he's like mentioned across the board, like personally, he's gone through some um, some changes for probably better and, and worse. But um, 
he seems really light, like light and free and easy. And that's like not a Gabe we've ever seen before. Um, and I think it makes his surfing like exponentially better, which like nobody knew was possible. Um, but to see him really light and easy um, is kind of incredible. And then to see him on the podium, like someone was saying earlier, like he's, he's very um, like fun. <laughs> Um, fun now, which I think is a really cool side to him that we, again, haven't seen necessarily publicly. Um, and Idolo, something has changed too. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is for him. Um, maybe it's something that's a little bit off. Um, but I think we're seeing new sides to, um, to everyone. For the Gabe portion of that, I go back to a conversation I had with Felipe Marcondes, who um, we all know internally. He's in Brazil. He's friends with Gabe. Um, it runs the, a lot of the different stuff down in Brazil. Um, and I was, we were doing a pilot for a podcast that never went anywhere, um, as some of them don't, but it was a story about Gabriel Medina. And he said, just in particular with Gabe, that the, the pandemic and COVID hitting and all of that stuff allowed Gabe to kind of take time for himself that he's never really done before. He got the long-term girlfriend that now is his wife. He, you know, settled down in that relationship. He was able to, you know, he had his house that was right off the beach so he could surf when he wanted to and more importantly, probably not surf when he wanted to um, and just kind of find that happiness a little bit outside of surfing. And so I wonder if that has something to do with kind of his mental space now when he's back on the tour and he's just kind of in a happier place and he found all of these things because he was able to take a year off, you know? I think for sure, yeah. Especially, I mean, you see him at Margaret River going to the wineries, enjoying life and really going on tour. A lot of times people go on tour and they're so focused on winning heats and advancing that I'm not a pro surfer by any means, but I can imagine that stress builds up. So for him to go on the road with his partner and actually like take advantage of these beautiful destinations that they go to outside of the waves, it looks like he's having a great time. And I love the new Gabriel 2.0. Love it. So I, I kind of have two, two, two different conflicting thoughts on this. The first is that, yes, I love it. Happy Gabe. Who knew that the best surfer in the world could get even better? And you like just see it. Like there's like a spontaneity. I mean, there always kind of is, but it's just like at a, at, at a new level. It's crazy. But at, from a fan's perspective, I, I kind of miss like mean Gabe. Like I Agreed. love having 100%. villains. There's 100%. not that many true villains on tour. I don't know if there's a single villain on tour. And Gabe wasn't really a villain, you know, because he's like dominating, but he was very cutthroat and, you know, like the intentional interferences, like the just blood in the water shark coming after you, like pure intimidation. Like, I love that. And it, like, it, I just feel like there's a there's a hole on tour of of villains or people who take it that seriously. And I'm all for him being happy, fully into it. His surfing's great. If he wins the world title, like, you know, even awesome. But we need someone to assume that role. And I don't know if there's anyone on tour that can do it. I feel like he's still that guy, but now he just does it while he's fucking smiling, which is almost more like yeah. lethal. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like he'll still, he'll still like in, like interfere with Kayo at pipe, but he like laughs after maybe. And I feel like that's even worse. That's even worse. <laughs> I think it's all like, there's also kind of, I mean, we're all American people, right? There's also kind of a version of perspective and having had the privilege of being on tour for as long as like well before Gabriel came on tour, um, you know, I, he really kind of was positioned, as you put it, Dan, as sort of the villain or the black hat 
um, very early on as a foil to everyone else. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if there was sort of even sort of unintended but or subconscious kind of racial undertones to that framing as well. But I remember reading something that uh, at the time, especially when he, he was ascendant and kind of winning his first world title about, you know, U.S. occupation in the Middle East. And they were journalists were talking to the, the people that were there um, that were fighting the Americans and saying, like, well, what, you know, what's your favorite movie? And they were saying Star Wars. And they go, oh, really? That's surprising. And they said, what do you mean? Like, we're the rebels, you guys are the empire. And it really kind of arrested this journalist in the sense of like, you know, he's the villain to a largely westernized culture, but in Brazil, he's, you know, Luke Skywalker, right? We're, we're, the, yeah. we're the empire, Kelly's Darth Vader kind of thing, you know? And I, 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 that's always stuck with me because I think there's a perspective thing. But to Kim's point, like now that he is uh, completely comfortable being who he is as a competitor and smiling as he's doing it, I just think, he, he seems really, really unbeatable to me. Lindsay, what's, what's been your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I th I'm with Kim. I think it's better than ever. I think he's still that guy because he has that edge. And I really liked after Rotnest when he talked about how um, his wife had thought that the trophy was so beautiful. So he was so happy that he was able to win it for her. I thought it was like, I thought it was so perfect and summed it up because it's like he was still after the trophy just for different reasons. And that reason was a lot more interesting to me. I don't know. I I think you can have that, but he still needs to have an edge. Like I get what Dan is saying. Like from a fan's point of view, everybody here knows I'm a huge basketball fan, huge Oklahoma City Thunder fan, huge Russell Westbrook fan. Russell has this edge. And when he's on your team and he like is going a hundred and 50 miles an hour on the court and he's just like no regard for anybody nobody's his friend except for the basketball when he's on your team you love that when he's on another team you don't love mm -hmm. that as much because you and you you're a little bit polarized by him and i think you want that from someone in surfing too of gabe of like he's brazil's hero we might see him as like a little bit of a villain or whatever maybe he's a villain maybe he's not but he's got that edge that no one else really on tour has and i do think we're missing that edge i think we're missing someone that brings that the tour might be missing it, but I think from Gabriel's perspective in terms of success, like this is the best start he's ever had in his career. Years he's won the world title, years he hasn't. And I, as a sort of, a, you know, uh, un, un, unaccredited sort of neutral observer of professional surfing, I've never seen him be so dominant, like competitively or performance-wise. I, I think the rest of the tour is in a lot of trouble. Switching gears a little bit, and, and in I suppose on the topic which Lindsay touched on, which is having something more than just yourself to compete for. What about Tyler Wright? She had a huge year in 2020 that blended, you know, her personal life and her professional life. Um, she won the Pipe Masters uh, at the end of 2020. But she's struggled a little bit during the Australian leg. Hendo, what have been your observations on on Tyler Wright so far, and 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 what do you kind of forecast for her before the season's finished? I feel like she had a good showing at Newcastle. I was really impressed with her forehand, and that off the rocks she was surfing really well. And then for some reason it started declining, and by the end towards Rotnest. Um, in her last heat, I just remember in my mind seeing a clip of like six wipeouts in a row, and she had a total shocker, which is the definition of a shocker straight up. Like I was not expecting that. So yeah, it just begs the question if she's fully healthy still, or if she, what her uh, motivations are, if she's stoked to be there. I mean, she was surfing great and especially seeing her start the year off in Hawaii was also great. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't really figure it out. I mean, we'll see how she does at surf ranch. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, 
for a perspective, like she's still fourth in the rankings. So like she she's still gonna be in the final five most likely. But for her standards, it does feel like a little off. And I don't really know what the deal is, but it, it's almost like she ran out of gas by the end of the leg. I mean, it was exhausting um and pretty nonstop. And she hasn't surfed. I mean, no one surfed that much in two months in a long time, but she definitely hasn't surfed that much. Um, so I don't know what it is, but I'm curious to see how she does at Surf Ranch and then how she does at, you know, in at Chopu and stuff. I think she could be, she won pipe. So I, I'd imagine she'd be one of the favorites there. Um, but yeah, it, that, that last heat at Rottnest was a little funky. You're just like, whoa, what's going on here? I was going to say, I'd like to give a shout out just to Tyler, still rocking the Black Lives Matters board. I think everybody knows where this podcast stands on those types of issues. We've made it very clear. But she came on this podcast and said like, hey, I realize that I have more of a platform now and I want to start standing up for that. I don't know if that has any impact on her performance. I don't know if now that she's into a lot more things outside of the water that probably feel a lot more important. I don't know if that has any impact on her mental state because I still think she can obviously surf at such a high level in my eyes uh, next to Carissa, the best female surfer in the world. So I, I hope we see her come back even stronger at places like Surf Ranch and in Mexico. I just, I, I do wonder though, you know, does, does the other stuff have any impact on her emotionally and therefore translate into the water? I mean, I don't know. I'm surprised that Black Lives Matter board is still in like competitive condition. That's a long time for like a world class surfer to keep a board like that. Like, I mean, she rocked that back in September or whatever it was. You know, that's yeah. that's impressive. I think there's something that happens when you um, like now she there's an expectation on her to um, not just surf really well, but also be someone who like makes a statement about something every time and stands up for this thing and uses her voice in this other way. And so I wonder if there isn't um, the sort of caving of the pressure to more than just one expectation of her, um, which is something if you're a person who decides that you want to be sort of intersectional in some way, not saying that's always choice but like when you decide that you want to stand up for something there's that added expectation that maybe you'll stand up for that thing every time you'll keep using your voice and using your voice and I think that that can be just as exhausting as the physical toll of um, your sport or of the emotional toll of competition um, that expectation to be this um, you know sort of freedom fighter type of person pretty similar to that when it comes down to it you know Gabe Tyler whatever's going on with them outside of the water definitely affects their performance because they're just people so when you say you know does this have an impact on her surfing I'd say it has to you know whether good or bad when you have anything going on it's gonna sort of have an impact on you just because you're human too all right we are gonna take a quick break for commercials and when we come back we'll have a few more topics WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, 
wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So the next topic is all of the performances this season are leading up to, for the first time ever, a spot for the WSL Final Five and a chance to contend for the world title at the Rip Curl WSL Finals this September. To that end, we actually have a tie on the current WSL women's rankings with France's Joanne DeFay and Australia's Stephanie Gilmore currently matched at the number five spot. And on the topic of ties, I want to know, how do we feel about this and, and ties in general in, in kind of all sports? Lindsay, why don't you kick us off on this one? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Like, how does anyone feel about ties? And I feel like in general, people think that ties suck in the sporting world. Like, ties are worthless, et cetera. So, I mean, it jumped out at me when I saw that there was a tie in the rankings. I was like, oh, my gosh, people are going to be talking about it. But then, you know, had work the next day and no one was. And so that's where... I'm wondering, like, do we not care about ties in surfing? And is that because they don't matter as much? And part of me wonders um, why that would be. Like, if we're maybe it's because we're so global. Because as we look at sort of the sports landscape, there's been so much conversation in the sports industry about ties in soccer and how maybe that's one of the reasons it doesn't resonate in the U.S. as well or if you look at the infrastructure changes that the NFL has made around ties, you know, trying to make sure that they don't happen. I was just curious, you know, what does it mean when people have a tie with our points and what does that mean looking to the finals? And maybe it means nothing at all, but I wonder if like the surfers themselves, are they registering it? Do you think it kind of shakes them up a little bit? I fucking hate ties. Hate them. Somebody should win. And I, I guess the question I have, Dave, is how do we decide? Like, let's say we were going into trestles and Steph and Joanne are still are tied. Like, how do we decide who surfs on that day? Yeah, so surf off, surf off, surf off. I, yeah. I would love a surf off. But before <laughs> you get to that point, 
It's actually outlined in the rule book because we've had to deal with this in terms of qualification for a number of years. So there have been instances where people have tied. Um, and what we do now, if we have eight events in the 2021 championship tour season, the surfers are ranked based off of their best six results of those eight events. So if there maintains a tie at one of those positions for the final five, then the tie break will go to, okay, who had the best ranking based off their best five of eight results? And if it's still tied, you go best four and then so on until the single result, who had the highest single result. And if none of that breaks the tie, then we do go to a surf off, which everyone loves except for the surfers involved, I think. Shouldn't it be who, who has the best seven if after that? Like after six, if you're tied, shouldn't it be like, okay, well then who has the best seventh? Like who did better for more of the year than who did elite more elite for five. That's a good question. I probably actually fucked the answer up. It might actually be that. I don't know. I'm sure you're right. I think it's, I'm not, I just disagree I'm not with actually the rule. Sure I'm right. I just was like, well, I could keep going this way. I'm not sure. It's, it's a good point. Like, and I, I, I say all that, um, not being super familiar with it, but, um, I imagine that each, each version of that's been wrestled with and kind of whatever the surfer technical committee thinks is more fair, they kind of go to that. Maybe they do go to best eight or, be, or best seven and best eight. Um, um, it's a good question. I'm staking my claim in for best seven if there's a time. We can do like a fact check at the end of the episode to be like, Dave is wrong <laughs> about these five things. <laughs> I mean, I agree. The only tie I like is maybe a bolo tie. Those are always a good time when you're wearing one. But otherwise, like, I just want a resolution. My mind goes crazy and I wonder... What's going to happen? Who's going to win? So when I think about it, like looking back on the Auslig, there was actually a lot of ties in a lot of heat totals. And I just had so many questions, like how it got to that point. But now, especially with two, <laughs> Steph and Joanne tied in the rankings, I'm sure it'll sort itself out as we do more events. But yeah, I mean, I would love some clarity. Yeah, I agree. I feel like now that we're moving towards this new final system where like you have to win in the water, you have to actually beat someone to win and it's not a numbers game. Like all aspects of ties should just somehow go away. Like, I know that part of it is built in because, like, two people finish third and a bunch of people fifth and then a bunch of people ninth. You know, like, they get the same number of points. But I almost feel like we should find a way to give, to have a first, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, for each event. I don't know how that works. But now that we're deciding everything in the water, everything should be decided in the water. Like, we should have surf offs for everything. Just leave Mikey right out of it. <laughs> Off of what you said, Hendo, around like, you know, we need more clarity around what it means, et cetera. That's what I was sort of wondering. I was like, maybe no one cares about the tie because no one gets it. And I think that's sort of funny that like people are comfortable only like surface level understanding. You know what I mean? Because like, I'm not expecting people to break open the rule book, but to Dave's point, like these things are available. Like you can check them out, like understand what happens when X happens. And it's just funny to me, sort of like the passiveness around not getting heated when there's a tie, when in some other sports, if, you know, if you're a huge Stephanie Gilmore fan and, you know, she's tied and that being tied at fifth might mean that she's not in the final five at the end. It could be like, you know, it's an interesting thing that I felt like no one was talking about. I think you're speaking to something that I've been thinking about recently, Lindsay, in a larger aspect of just how complicated this sport is and how large the barrier of entry can be. Because my brother visited, um, he's from Kansas, and he brought him and his girlfriend out to LA, stayed with me for the weekend. And I think it was Margaret River was on. And I put it on and she was like, okay, so are there always three people in the water? And I was like, well, no, just for 
this round. It's called the seeding round. And then it's going to go to an elimination round, but only the third person. And then there's two people after. And it's like, I, I sat there for 20 minutes trying to explain to her the sport of surfing. And it was insanely hard. And I'm pretty sure she didn't understand any of it. And she probably won't watch surfing because she's like, I don't really get it. I don't know what's. And then there's the whole subjectiveness part of it. Like it's a subjective sport. So it's a subjective scoring scale. I don't know. That made me think of just the rea- reality of, of how big the barrier to entry could be for the sport. I was going to say, I guess, like, I agree to our listeners out there in Kansas or someone who might not understand the sport is like so complex. And then you add in overlapping heats and then you add in, you know, people don't really understand the oceans and the tides and the winds and all that is so complicated. So I, I think that's been a challenge. I feel like throughout the career of professional surfing is to try to explain that to people who might not a have the time to understand it and be like, not really care, like as much as we do, like I love all that stuff. I grew up my whole life watching it. And for someone who doesn't understand it, I'm sure it's hard for them to like even grasp it. It is tricky. I think there's a tension. And I think some of the stuff that we're designing for in 22 and beyond gets to some of the clarity of understanding of like how we determine who the best surfers are and, and how the schedule works and how the formats work. And and how how we crown world champions. But I also think the other side of it is a lot of the stuff that has been deemed kind of impenetrable has kind of been done out of necessity because they're having to overcorrect for how dynamic the field of play is, right? And some of those sort of formatting decisions or scheduling decisions or rule decisions or judging decisions maybe were unnecessary, but I think a lot of them contributed to conditions where we actually are seeing the world's best surfing happening in these events. Now, the way that we deliver that to the fans, both core and kind of uninitiated can improve for sure. But it, it that's a huge departure from even when I started like 15 years ago, where we always said it was world's best surfers, world's best waves. But a lot of times the surfing happening outside of competitions could be argued as being better. That's no longer the case. Like the surfing happening in the live arena is the best surfing anyone will ever see every year. And, and that's pretty huge. I think the package can get can get improved upon though for sure. Yeah, it's good to be able to hang your hat on, be able to say like this is the best surfing you're going to see. Period. Well, if not, we can, we can all go home, you know. <laughs> That's kind of our deal. Well, as we do with every episode, we put feelers out to the Instagram community to see if our listeners had any questions for our break room and this might have been the most uh, responses we've ever gotten to this. I think people have a lot of questions for what happens behind the curtain here, but um, Kim, why don't you kick us off with the first question? Sure. Um, Apologies in advance for definitely mispronouncing your handle, but David Bielfus asks, um, is there a rivalry with Stab or is it viewed as good for the brand to have an antagonist? Hmm. It's an interesting question. So I work in marketing. For me, there's no rivalry with Stab. I mean, they cover us. They're a media outlet who covers surfing. So they naturally cover the best in the world. But it's not like I'm I'm going on my day-to-day uh, job writing promos or emails saying, oh, I wonder what Stab's going to think about this or, oh, I'm going to throw this clip in there and see how Stab reacts. I don't really think about it at all during my day-to-day life. I enjoy what they write, I, although I do, you know, there's an aspect that's that's any press is good press, and I do believe that. Um, the more people are talking about pro surfing, the better for us and for me personally. But I, I read a lot of sports media, and 
I have seldom seen a media outlet cover the sport that they love and specifically cover so negatively, I guess is the word. I, I feel like there, there's a way to have fun with it, like you see Deadspin, stuff like that. I'm not saying that there's no place for criticism in sports. I mean, it's everywhere. I think the question comes from the fact that most coverage WSL gets from Stab is negative, and that's why people on Instagram are like, oh, there's a rivalry. Like, how are you responding? And like are asking us as employees whether it like plays into our day-to-day jobs. I don't think that's normal for most sports. But I mean, like I said, any press, good press. I just like the, you ever watch Mad Men where he's like, two people get in the elevator and one's like, I feel really, really bad for you. And, the, and then Don Draper's like, really? Because I don't think about you at all. Like, That's what you just said about staff. You're like, I don't ever think about them. I mean, I don't never think about them. I like watching the electric as a surfboard test. But um, like, I, I, it doesn't affect my my day to day in any way. I'm not, I'm not sure how many people that it does affect inside the building in their day to day jobs. Every day for me. Uh, yeah, all, except all for days. Yeah. <laughs> okay, from Andy Cashford. What is the biggest misconception about working for the WSL? I think the biggest misconception about working for the WSL is that we are not just like people with desk jobs, which is entirely what we are. Um, it seems like there's a, uh, an idea that we are also like surfers on tour. <laughs> like in order to work here, you must be like an, an excellent surfer and have like been everywhere in the world surfing. And that's just like not the case at all. We are people who work at a company and we're humans with, with lives. And that's, that's who we are. <laughs> WSL I- employees. I vividly recall before the acquisition, like the angry masses, like bitching about this is a stupid sport run by surfers and you need professionals. And these same angry masses now bitching that it's not all professional surfers that work at the company. Like it's just kind of, I think we just need a balance of both. (laughs) Like, and, and as you put it out, like human beings. At Natan underscore day, sorry if I blew that, my friend, asks, how do you choose your guests? And I assume this is for the lineup. So, Ryan? Yeah. Um, so we choose our guests uh, with this group plus a couple other people. We have a group of people that work at the company. And we have, obviously, the tour dates on the schedule. We've got different things we want to hit on the schedule, like Olympics or maybe something for that our marketing department is trying to hit. And we mix all of those kind of key objectives with... Um, the people that we just want to talk to. So it kind of starts with like, who who does Dave want to talk to? Who do we as a group want Dave to talk to? And then we go from there and try and schedule it in different slots that make sense, right? So obviously we want to talk to some of the CT surfers, but we you know we might want to save Carissa for whenever she's getting ready to get into a final five, right? Because she's obviously going to be part of that group. So might save her for later in the year and talk to some other people. We talked to Randy Rarick right when we were around the sunset window, when we were supposed to be at sunset. So those are kind of the the pacings that we're trying to keep. Honestly, we get suggestions from the um, community as well. So if you're writing in on Instagram, we're seeing those messages. And so, yeah, if you've got any suggestions of people that should be on, feel free to write in at the lineup pod. Um, we, we look at those messages and respond to all of them as, as much as possible. But yeah, small group that decides who we're going to talk to. And it really starts with who, who do we want Dave to really dig in deep with? Cool. I think that I can jump in next. We have another hard hitting question from Rafaela Spontes. Definitely messing up the name. Um, but they ask, what is it like working for the WSL? 
How does one get that opportunity? Thanks for the question. I feel like I'm maybe in a different department than everybody here. I am freelance, so I'm kind of like a wild card of the events for the last six years, whereas everyone here is on the CT and is qualified. And I would ask probably the same question, how do I get in the door and do that? But the way that I kind of got to where I am today was with production, it was a big, I would say it was a 10 year long road working for various other production companies and starting off in Hollywood being like, I don't want to be working for a company doing the world's wildest police chases and whatnot. So I decided to work with surfing, put my head down, applied to every single production company that did action sports out there and uh, got a call from one and it all led me to here. So I too have the same question. If you guys here could answer like, <laughs> how do I go further and how do I get in there? I mean, I responded to a LinkedIn ad, if I'm being completely honest. I, I found a LinkedIn post uh, for, I you know, work in audio and music and applied for it and interviewed a few times. And, and that's how I got this job. LinkedIn, LinkedIn didn't even exist when I started working. <laughs> how did you get wrote your a job, Dave? And mailed it in. Dave wrote a letter for <laughs> <Snail> mail. <laughs> unpaid internship for Dave. I did, yeah. Well, it, it still exists. It's actually um, Malachi.com. It's like an action oh, sports yeah version of like monster for jobs and there was a telecommute unpaid internship for the asp and i'm like let's look good on the resume and i took that all right next question comes from jenna jesse who asks and i'm gonna pitch this one to you dave why is there a stigma around helmets is the risk really worth the quote-unquote looking cool factor it's a really good question and i think you know, this really came up quite a lot with um, with Owen Wright's kind of well-publicized brain injury that he suffered out at Pipeline. Um, and and Owen, even recently, especially in the last couple of years, he's been wearing a helmet when conditions are, are really serious. And he's been speaking out a lot about it as well, trying to erase the stigma around wearing helmets. And I think it's going to be more of a conversation in surfing moving forward. Um, even outside of like, really, really heavy conditions at somewhere like Pipeline or Chopu or, or, or Mainbreak or the box. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if studies came out that, that sort of highlighted the, the propensity of micro concussions just in terms of like everyday surfing and, and what, what that can lead up to uh, for people because uh, I do think it's something that people are going to be talking about a lot more. Um, and I think the more people talk about it, the less people will have a stigma around it. And I think you know, someone like Owen Wright, who is a longtime world title contender, intentionally and deliberately trying to destigmatize it, it's going to help as well. And I would also say, quick shout out, the Swellians have done a great job of flipping that script and making the gath cool. I really respect it that they're, I mean, they twisted it in a way that's like gath and like people are stoked to wear it and they're like praising Jeremy Flores and Owen Wright for wearing these gaths, which I do think kids... Nowadays, surfing, charging heavy pipe, like should be wearing helmets for sure. I'm not going to lie. When I see Jeremy and Owen put the helmet on at like Joe or something, like, oh shit, here we fucking go. Like it's going to be gnarly. <laughs> I get pretty stoked. I don't know who's still being like, oh my God, that guy's wearing a helmet. Get him out of here. No, it just furthers the Yeah, fight. you're like, oh yeah, boy, here we go. All right. I think I'm up next. Bzip023 asks, what do you miss most about being in the office? The snacks or the snacks or the snacks? Lindsay? Um, I miss Brendan Zipfel in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to BZip for this question. Yeah, we all miss BZ. Honestly, I don't miss the snacks at all. I haven't <laughs> thought about them since we've been gone. 
But um, contrary to popular belief, there are cool people who work at WSL. And so I miss that, you know, when it's all remote, there are certain departments that I work really closely with, but then there are others that I don't work as closely with and you don't bump into them when you're not, you know, in person. So I miss that and that's fun. And I'm excited to sort of start re-entering that. It is funny how like the snack and beverage selections change with the different administrative <laughs> regimes, you know, or like, oh, it's all it's all like uh, Corona kegs and like, you know, your body weight and Skittles. And then the next week it's like it's it's a uh, kombucha and, you know, like uh, oat bars. And you're like, all right, it's good. So those are the questions from the Instagram community. Thanks to everyone. If you don't follow us already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at the lineup pod. And as Ryan highlighted, we try to answer every single one of our comments and questions. Final segment for the maiden episode of The Break Room is unpopular opinion. And to kick us off for unpopular opinion, we have Dan Willen. So Dan Willen, what is your unpopular opinion to close out our show? I have a question, and maybe an unpopular question. And it is, after his latest injury, is John John done? Like, is he going to come back? I mean, he's most. I know we, we're seeing a lot of Instagram posts about coming for the Olympics, but how many more times can he have a major injury and want to come back versus just going out on a sailboat? I think he can have one more major injury and want to come back. I think that he's not going to be part of the Olympics, and I just think it looked like too bad of an injury. I don't know anything. Dave knows probably more than I do. He's kind of close to John John, but I don't know anything. And I think he's not going to make the Olympics. And I think he'll probably end up trying to come back in two bad knees, just injury ridden, get hurt again. And then we're going to see just like Andrew Luck, Brandon Roy of surfing, just so much promise, two world titles, but maybe the second best ever next to Kelly, but like couldn't put it together because of injuries. This is a really good unpopular opinion because I feel like everyone's going to be in our DMs just hating all over it because no one wants to see him go away. I don't want to see him go away. No, 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 no. no. But I I mean, even asking the question is almost speaking it into the universe. I I had lunch with him the other day and uh, I'll, I'll say a couple things. He he's gotten a lot of major injuries in his surfing career. The year that he qualified, he actually broke his back at a pipeline. Um, he's blown out his uh, one knee twice and then recently blew out the other knee. He is really goddamn tough and he surfs really, really hard. I, I mean, he didn't say anything. We didn't talk about this at all, so I can't kind of give you any insight. But I would imagine he's going to work really hard to come back for the Olympics and come back to the CT. But it's an interesting question, right? Because he admittedly hates being injured and he's really, really frustrated being injured. And, and the Andrew Luck question is interesting because... Andrew Luck basically left because he was sick of living his life being injured, you know? So I, I don't, I'd be surprised if he left surfing, but what would happen if he toned it down? So he wasn't so like risk heavy on getting injured. Is that how he wants to surf? Is that how we want to see him surf? I don't know. What's the injury? What's his, what is his current injury? Did he say? Uh, I'm sure he said somewhere. I just, all the knee injuries just sort of blend together for me. Cause I mean, if you like tore an ACL versus, you know, just a contusion of some type. Like those are totally different. He had surgery um, on the on the uh, on the knee, and so he's been rehabilitating here in California. I mean, the Olympics are in like a month and a half. Yeah, right? it's be tough. I don't think he's done. I mean, from what we've seen with his injuries in the past, he's actually pretty good at rehabbing. And the fact that he got on a plane right away, went straight to get surgery, posted the next day, hey, things are looking pretty good. He made a whole film dedicated 
to Tokyo Rising about the Olympics and like he dedicated getting better so that he could jump that spot and unfortunately like jump Slater, make sure he's in there. And like he's spent so much time focusing on doing the Olympics. And I think for these athletes, it's such a big deal that I think he's not done. I think he'll be at the Olympics and I'm going to be cheering him on with all my heart. It's one thing. That's me too. It's one thing to want to be in the Olympics, but like if you physically can't perform, it's like less than eight weeks away. The Olympics. Well, the other thing is like his comeback at Pipe was freaking amazing. And hey, I wanted to be at the Olympics. I want to be back next event. Same. 100%. But like at Pipe, you know, for someone who grew up right next to it, it was kind of like he drops in, he sets his line, and he goes, and his knee doesn't take. I mean, it took a beating, but not. In Japan, he's going to have to be like doing a lot more than setting the line and going straight. Um, not to say that his that he can't, but it's. I just feel like it's going to be so much more taxing on his on his knee. It's a funny one, right? Where it's like for him, it's safer for him to re-enter competitive surfing at ten foot pipeline than yeah. one foot chiba. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with John uh, moving forward. We'll see what happens with this podcast moving forward. But this has been a lot of fun, guys. Um, I, I think we should be doing the break room every week, but we'll probably we'll probably stick to once a month for starters until until we can pay for all your talents more often. But this was great. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you, thanks, guys. So that's it. That's the lineups maiden episode of the break room. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge thank you to Lindsay Volk, Dan Willen, Kim Hogan, and Henry Bear for delivering a bit of insight from behind the curtain. All feedback is welcome, and we'll look to have everyone back very soon. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them, and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kichtavagnar people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>